All right, we're recording now. Good evening, gentlemen. How you guys doing tonight? Oh, I'm Uh, so good. Just happy to be here. I had to do a little bit of extra discipline at bedtime with the uh, two almost three-year-olds, so you know my heart is is just sad. (laughs) It's broken. I'm a broken man from disciplining a two-year-old. They don't tell you before you have a kid like how much of a production bedtime is going to be like they really don't you see comics and like shows where it's like oh you read them a, a book and then they go to bed and it's like oh no that's like step nine out of out of mm-hmm. nine uh-huh. that's the last yeah. step uh yeah there's a whole, we've had almost the exact same bedtime ritual for four years now it's crazy Sung the same songs oh. and done the except adding like adding potty adding teeth brushing Etc. Etc. But yeah, and they don't tell you before you have a kid. They don't tell you how important the ritual is and how important it is to keep the ritual the same as much as possible. Yeah. Because holy smokes, are little kids creatures of habit? Yeah, they love it. Like lawyers, it's, creatures yeah. of habit. Yeah, still making the right, starting pleadings the same way for hundred <laughs> years. You can't boss me around music. I'm still here. It's like for the award show where we're trying to play you off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, hello and welcome to Esquiring Minds, episode five for January twenty sixth, twenty twenty three. I think that's right. Right. This show is just uh, three lawyer friends goofing around for your enjoyment. (laughs) Nothing we say should be taken as legal advice. Uh, I'm going to get my introduction out of the way right away because I never get to it. I'm Andrew Leahy. I'm a tax and technology (laughs) attorney from New Jersey, and I'm joined as always by. Jake? Uh, J- J- yeah, I'll go first. Jake, <laughs> are you, are you, you sure you're joined by Jake? First on the list. I am first on the list, so I should have known that. Uh, I'm Jake Schumer. Uh, I'm a land use and local government focusing attorney. And I'm Jason Ramsland. I sue people's bad bosses. So I'm a plaintiff's employment lawyer. Uh, I am practicing mainly in Indiana with a touch of Georgia and like a tiny little dash in Florida with my good buddy, Jake. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's us. That's us, the Esquiring Minds. That's a matter of public record. We are friends. We are friends and it is provable by looking at public records. So Yes. Everybody I've ever appeared in a case with is has been a friend. I've never appeared on the same side as an an enemy. Yeah. That's not true. I mean (laughs) look I think I I think I might have. Um but but serving as local counsel for an out of state attorney. Now that's that's true friendship right there. That, that's, that's true yeah. mercenaryhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's taking you to the airport. That is the high that's helping you move. That is the highest yeah. level of, of friendship for lawyers. Yeah. The court the airport of court appearances. Um mm. a Florida Supreme Court actually had a decision like two years ago where they had to define friendship because One point. uh because there's a question about whether or not if your friends on Facebook with a judge, that judge has to recuse themselves automatically uh, because oh, you have to recuse automatically if you're a friend. And they were basically like, they actually tried to define friendship. It was great, uh, and they ultimately decided it's a factual, it's a factual question, case by case, which I feel like is kicking the can down the road. They should have, they should have had some real courage. And told us what a friend is once and for all. Kind of and then had the, I mean, this, so that it could have gone to the Supreme Court. 
this sounds an awful lot like is a burrito a sandwich like where's yeah. the, like are we going to split hairs and draw okay this is acquaintance and this is uh you know a fond acquaintance <laughs> right. and then somewhere along the line you verge into yeah. friendship and yeah i, I think like that friendship they, is uh, i'll I'm, know it i'm ashamed of it. the supreme court oh yeah. there you go oh, yes just like uh yeah just like adult entertainment just like pornography i know a friend when i see one that's right there you go that's right that's the official law of florida i know a friend when i see one isn't that yeah. on the license plate just above the orange god that would be, that's not a bad that's really not a bad, bad saying one. for a state yeah no it feels like it so should I, be for should... like uh vermont or something like that instead of florida mm, though like yeah. you know a friend yeah. when you see one vermont no. mm. Florida is more like shoot on site. Uh, <laughs> watch out, watch your feet for gators. I don't know. Prosecuting Car, local doctrine. Twenty nineteen. Right. Oh. Maybe, Speaking of, yeah, of maybe things in the that, news, I don't know. <laughs> Have you guys checked your garages for any like uh, confidential documents or anything like that? Are you like one hundred percent certain that you don't have oh. anything out there? You, you know, one thing I like about working for governments is that almost everything is a public record. I like it and I hate it. I like it because confidentiality, I don't have to worry a lot about confidentiality and keeping records confidential because, Hey, everything is a public record unless it's not. And we know when it's not. So, uh, uh, I, I love that. I don't have to think about that very hard. I'm actually going through getting ready to move my office and move out of my current office in Athens. Uh, and so I've been going through and like kind of doing the, the pre-move purge uh, and uh, all sorts of confidential information that's being either shipped back to a client because the case is over and I don't need it anymore or boxed up and put into a tote somewhere for when I actually do need it. But the reality of luring in 2023 is that if it's on paper, you probably don't need it because you sure as heck better have that in a digital file somewhere if it's ever actually going to be useful. I wish we were more paperless. Like, still, still not enough for me. That how much paper we're using right now. Uh, is this so much? Like, we're, uh, you know, as we've dealt with in our case, we still got to mail stuff to judges. Uh, oh, we still got to print stuff. We got to mail stuff. We got to mail them hundreds of pages for motions. Uh, like, yeah, I, we're still doing it, I guess. So speaking I of, pay, uh, I would pay $10 a month every month just so that courthouses would print our, our, my PDFs for me. So I don't have to mail them anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> no, well, I was going to say, well, speaking of next generation technology, like PDFs and uh, scanners and things, uh, we have a bunch of sort of smaller topics to talk about tonight, I think was our plan. Right. And sort of chief mm -hmm. among them is this nonsense of the do not pay uh, robot lawyer. Did you, you guys, I know you guys follow this because we've been talking I love about this. it. But, oh but yeah. I'll pretend I'm asking you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah. Uh, so Joshua do not pay. <laughs> yeah, it's this app that's started by Joshua Browder, who I don't know a lot of his personal biography, but I think he's the son of maybe like some venture capital uh, uh, kind of guy. I, I mean, I know his father is like a reputable, um, reputable might be going too far, uh, a well-known person. Right. Uh, in, uh, I don't know, whatever field he's in. And so like Joshua doesn't come out of nowhere. He comes from a family of move makers, I guess, uh, and developed this. I think it started out, maybe, maybe it started life as an app, uh, on 
uh, phones uh, that do not pay that I think started out, uh, and Andrew, you can jump in and correct me as soon as I get all this wrong. I think it started out as ways to get out of like late fees or like easy ways to appeal traffic tickets or parking tickets yeah. or something like that. Or talk down Comcast bills. I mean, that, that's sort of where it first came yeah. to my attention. Yeah, that's what I'd heard. Yeah, you could sign up for it and they would... I, I mean, I always assumed, because it was all in the early iteration anyway, it was all behind the scenes. It wasn't as though there was any sort of like live connect to a rep for Comcast and, you know, the do not pay robot tries to talk them into giving you a deal. You just would sort of give them your your account information and then they would supposedly negotiate the best deal that they could get for you. My assumption was always that they were going to Comcast with a collection of people that wanted to get their bills knocked down and say, what would you give us? You know, what would you give this group of people if they all would sign hmm. for another year or something? Like, I never really thought it was actually I don't know, convincing someone at Comcast to, to reduce the price. You know what I mean? Like on, on in the way that this do not pay thing was supposed to be. And just uh, Jason, to your point, his father is Bill Browder, who is a uh, political activist. He's the uh, Hermitage Capital mm. Management guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a, a venture capital guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, That's one of the I, most annoying things about all of these tech stories and legal tech stories is like every legal tech uh, organization wants to mm-hmm. like pat themselves on the back and be all proud and excited and like blast it out on Twitter and Mastodon. Hey, we secured this much venture capital funding. Like, great. Don't I don't care. Tell me about your product. <laughs> Fix your product or make it work better. I think it's funny that that uh, Joshua Browder. I'm sorry. I I lost my train of thought. Uh, but he, he's really convinced about that stuff. He talks a lot about that and he talks a lot about the consumer, you know, powering to the people and reducing prices for, um, uh, you know, the gap, the wealth gap of justice, how difficult it is to get a lawyer, which I think is all legit. And when it comes to consumer stuff and they, when they went to Comcast, here's what I was thinking about earlier. Um, I thought what they were going to do was, you know, all these Comcast and AT&T's, they have like set, they have set scripts for their customer services people to follow. I thought they would like, you know, use AI to mass, <laughs> basically do a mass, a mass thing, figure out what those scripts are. And then just the second you, you hire them, they go through the script with the AI and get you exactly what they, they know they can get. Which would be, I think, cool. I think that would be cool, so that I don't have to sit on hold for three hours to get a fifty dollar discount or to cancel something that I should be able to cancel online. Um, but the thing that really got him in trouble, and honestly, if Joshua Browder was not tweeting, I don't think this would be as that like bad of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's tweeting very venture capitaly things of like, you know, he's going to revolutionize the industry and then say, we're going to have a robot lawyer giving advice in court right. and it's not technically illegal. And every lawyer in the world is saying, excuse me, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're, you're giving an unlicensed, you're giving, you're telling somebody in court what to say. Some, some person that probably doesn't, you know, doesn't know better. I guess they're getting paid a million dollars, which is, you know, that maybe that's, worth it to risk jail for a parking ticket um but uh, i think the million dollars was for the supreme court only wasn't it oh yeah that's right never mind that was the offer, he yeah. offered that's right he offered somebody a million dollars to do oral argument at supreme court which is like hilariously too low if you're doing oral <laughs> argument at supreme court that's 
you're already probably pulling down if not if not seven figures pretty close unless you're working for the government or something and then doing that would be career suicide maybe you're disbarred because yeah. it's clearly not allowed uh, dishonorable certainly. to the court etc cetera, etc cetera. certainly you uh, would have a hard time ever appearing in front of that court again yeah my sort of, I mean, this isn't a very interesting angle, but my thought was how difficult would it be just to attempt to do an oral argument, getting instructions through your AirPods from an actual human being? Like, forget about the whole technology yeah. of this whole idea. Let's just pretend instead it's just another attorney you're talking to and they're going to tell you what you should say. That I feel like that would be a horrible experience. And that's just the, the proportion <laughs> that is the earpiece connecting to your phone. Yeah. Like, it doesn't require any other technology but that. Attempting to make a cellular phone call or some sort of phone call from inside a building and and sort of have real time responses and not sound like yeah. a, a, a person mm-hmm. with you know an aphasia or something. Especially courtrooms aren't like orderly aren't as orderly as they seem on TV where you know it's like one person talks then another person talks. It is judge talks to you. Maybe you start. Maybe the judge interrupts you, and now you you haven't listened to what the judge was saying because you were listening to what the person in the earpiece was saying. That that sounds so stressful to me. <laughs> uh, I would yeah. rather wing it myself. The skills, the skills that it's going to take to do something like this aren't the skills that lawyers are trained with. It's like the skills that 24-hour news network anchors are trained with, where you can listen to what's mm-hmm. got breaking news coming through in my earpiece. Yeah. And <laughs> like, it's not the skills yeah. that are, uh, you know, that you get in law school. The de- the direct ear to mouth uh, connection that some people have that I do not have. Where you can pass through, you can pass through information without losing another train of thought. Yeah, um, yeah. it seems uh, like a terrible I, idea. I, yeah, and then it seems also to be. I mean, so this wasn't the only thing that sort of do not pay made news for this week. There was a, a uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but there was a tech dirt article where somebody like went through and tried to use do not pay to generate all kinds of um, like a demand letter and uh, uh, some. uh, financial breach of contract uh, filings. And it seems to just be sort of a nightmare. But it also seems to not work because this is supposedly an AI. These were documents it was going to generate. And apparently the quickest they could get even a simple demand letter back to you was an hour, which, uh, you know, uh, depending on how much demand there was, I could fulfill that if I just had people, you know, just had a Google form and you emailed me, I could Mm -hmm. turn it around in an hour. So I'm wondering to what extent any of this even existed and how much this was just browder seeing like chat GPT and stable diffusion on all this other like AI being the new catchy thing and saying, Oh yeah, we got a whole ton of it. We're going to have a robot lawyer. Like how much of this even ever existed? Yeah. One of those things was eight hours long. I think it was the small claims complaint that it was generating. Uh, yeah. And that's like, I could definitely generate a really simple small claims complaint in eight hours. Um, yeah. And that, that tech dirt article made it definitely made it seem like there's somebody filling in like spaces on a form and that this AI is all fake. This company started, I guess in 2015, this is an old, this isn't that new of a company. Um, That's at least that's, I read that somewhere that it started in 2015. So it's been around. Yep. Um, That's what the Wikipedia article says at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it's got like, you know, a hundred plus million dollar valuation. And we already have, uh, we were talking about this, what, like in episode one, when we were talking about like AI tools Mm -hmm. replacing stuff. And the thing is, 
you can have forms already. You don't need AI to make forms. You don't need an AI to fill in the blank. And we have LegalZoom, which is people have considered, lawyers have had some like small, small panics about LegalZoom because it's a, a, you know, a website where they, they provide you basic documents under the supervision of a lawyer. And so this seemed like a legal zoom. And the fact that it said it was AI, but it took eight hours made me think that maybe that whole courtroom stunt was actually going to be a person. It was going to add a whole other connection to make it even worse where person speaks into ear pods. There's a lawyer listening on the other side that, or it's like text to speech to an AI and then a lawyer interpreting that and reading it back to the person or something like that. Where there was going to be another, another layer right. layer of abstraction there, that would have been even worse. It's like, uh, but it would have been. It might have been legal. That's the yeah. Thing. It's like it's like sending communication to the Mars rover. It would be like yeah. three minutes between a question and an answer, right? Yeah, it's incredible. It's crazy. Uh, well, I heard, and this might be wrong because we never actually knew where he was planning to do this, but I heard that the way that they were going to get AirPods, AirPods in was as learning disability or not learning, hearing disabilities. So that would be the explanation, Your Honor. Like, Your Honor, it's like I'm, they're deaf and they're, try, they're trying to process it. I guess that would be the explanation, which just kind of shows how this was never really, this was always a publicity stunt. It was never going to be a part of the, the actual business because you can't that, get by on that. A venture yeah. capital funded firm doing something just for the splashy news headlines. Yeah. Unheard of. Yeah. But so this so do not pay. pay. Sorry. Yeah. Do not pay. Do not pay. Started out uh, not as uh, fix your cable bill or like cancel Netflix. That's something else. Uh, it started off with parking t- tickets, uh, contesting parking tickets and had like a really good record because really what it takes to contest a parking ticket is you go and you get a form that they'll hand you at the clerk's office, which sounds like what was happening with that eight hour small claims uh, complaint that was coming out. It's basically like you just ha- you know which blanks on the form need to be filled in and then they in the app inquire about okay right. what belongs in this blank what belongs in this blank okay so you're not doing anything for me that i couldn't get from the form that i can go down to the court clerk's office and get and fill in myself by hand you're just doing it on an app which great democratize the whole process make it accessible make it available to more people in an easy way that is like literally at people's fingertips instead of having to trudge down to the courthouse to get it but yeah, to <laughs> slap an AI label on it and pretend like you're really innovating here seems a little bit um, suspicious. It's really like AI as a label is just so slapped on things that aren't really AI. And Mm -hmm. it's just so slippery that a lot of things can be described as AI that aren't really that interesting. We've had predictive text for, you know, since what, since iPhones came out, we've had predictive text. Right. Uh, I mean, before then, because, uh, what um spell check clippy, uh, clippy the, would do it. I, the 10 key or the 12 key whatever it was i forget the name of that you know when you would hit four 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 five Sticky it would try key. to figure out no oh, this is on, talking about on t9 typing phones, on old phones on t9, t9. typing yeah on oh, old phones yeah. it would try to figure out what word you were saying when you hit four four uh numbers uh even though you know technically there might be more words um so that's you know anyway that could that would be branded as AI if it was twenty twenty three for sure. It, yeah, AI is the new blockchain, right? Everything is, yeah. is AI. Just call what it was, AI. What was before blockchain? Was it 
web 2.0 that's way too old uh web uh something i'm sure came between web 2.0 and the blockchain um Hmm. i don't know i don't know but um yeah, so do not pay. Basically, so the, then the Tech Dirt article comes out where the person tries to walk through, and I shouldn't say the person. This person has a name. The author's name is I'm stalling. Something Towson. Towson. Yeah. Yes. Um. Uh, so she she walks through the whole process of trying to do basically anything with uh, do not pay, and screenshots and all. Screenshots and all. Yeah, and essentially none of it works or it works in a way that makes it pretty clear it's not ai and so she i don't know if she did this on twitter i saw it on mastodon but maybe she did it on twitter as well she kind of went through asking you know browder for a response and he gave a couple of sort of ham-handed responses and then the next morning which i think was yesterday morning announced never mind you know i, I have sad news we're going to discontinue like literally all of the products that she had walked through yeah. on uh, in the <laughs> screenshots and we're going to be pursuing something else because uh you know we found there wasn't yeah. really much use for it and so my predict, like uh, my prediction, I have no inside information, and I, I don't know that this is true, but I just want to predict that this comes out eventually. All of this was just connected to Amazon Mechanical Turk, and he was paying like five cents to people to fill in these forms, basically, and turn it around. And the more attention it got, and the more people tried, the the bigger the backlog, and that's why that time just had to keep getting tacked, you know, longer and longer. Oh wow! You, you think thought. this is going to come out eventually? Like I, 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 I'm. The product of private companies is like, you know, I feel like they're trying, they are so private about this. And we've, we saw like with the Mm -hmm. Frank, the Frank acquisition that a company where it turned out that like all their users were fake, but they were still able to get JP Morgan to buy them uh, because JP Morgan just didn't know, like (laughs) didn't know ahead of time. Uh, I feel like we're never going to learn. We're never going to learn anything about do not pay about what's actually going on here. And when, but it's not just that he canceled it. He was like, uh, state bar offices have called me threatening prosecution. <laughs> and right. throw he's me like, he acts shocked about this. Like the lawyers <laughs> shut me down. And right. it's like, Oh, have, have you never heard of unlicensed practice law? Do you know what that is? <laughs> Did you right. know that it's like, he was so concerned about whether or not it was against courtroom rules to mm-hmm. have a if listening AirPods. device in there and relay. Right. That he didn't realize that giving legal advice when you're not licensed to give legal advice is a problem, uh, and in fact a crime. So, yeah, it, it's this the jailhouse uh, lawyer. This is calling to mind uh, the Jeffrey Goldblum quote from Jurassic Park, not the one that you're thinking of, uh, but the one where they spent so much time thinking about whether they could that they didn't stop to think about whether they should. Uh, and I think that's what I, I mean to to steal a bad business jargon uh, term that's getting tossed around way too much recently. He basically got out over his skis a little bit here and like started lurching too far forward into doing a thing before realizing, hey, you know what? Maybe this wasn't a great idea. And like contesting parking tickets is a great thing to automate and make super easy. Uh, Waving, you know, automating a process for uh, waiving student activity fees or something like that at school, or signing up for a class action thing like Equifax, the data breach from Equifax. Like right. those mm-hmm. are probably good and suitable things to automate, and you're probably not really crossing any lines that anybody cares about uh, when you're doing that kind of stuff. It's when you branch into, 
hey, I'm actually going to Cyrano de Bergerac for you in the courtroom and like be whispering <laughs> into your ear all of the sweet nothings that you need to get the judge to decide the case in your favor. Like, okay, that's pretty clearly over the line. And that's going to draw a lot of attention from state bar associations and the folks who are empowered to prosecute the unauthorized practice of law. I just want to say for the record, that was the exact quote I was thinking from uh, yeah, uh, from Jurassic Park. So, <laughs> yeah. The quote that, that people always take from Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park is the life finds a way quote. But uh, yeah. this, mm. this is the one that's more, accurate, yeah. more uh, uh, apt for the situation. What if instead of automating all that, you abolished all low uh, value contracts whatsoever by statute? Uh, just, just like this talk about how things should be, uh, automated at a low level, like parking tickets, uh, just wanted to shout out David Hoffman's, uh, Mm -hmm. article defeating the empire of forms, which is basically David Hoffman being a, uh, a law professor of some kind. I really have no idea. Uh, university of Pennsylvania. He's on Mastodon, um, who basically argued that we should abolish low value contracts because, there are too many contracts, too many terms of use for all the websites and all that. Now, hold um, on a second. Hold on a second. That's not yeah. that's not quite what he said. He didn't say that we should abolish all contracts. He said that contracts below a certain value, I think the threshold right. was $500 is what he said. I think uh, so, $100. $100. Was it 100 uh, All of those should be oral contracts. And what yeah. he's really getting at here isn't that contracts are bad. It's that contract bloat with all these stupid... Uh, adhesion terms that we've come to, you know, right. just take as granted in everything. And holy smokes, do I get uh, inundated with this and annoyed by it? Like every contract has to have a venue selection clause and a choice of mm-hmm. law and a merger clause. And you have to, in, in the realm that I work in, everything's got confidentiality and liquidated damages if we breach <laughs> confidentiality and non-disparagement and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you know what? He's got a really good point uh, that, you know, contracts have gotten to be out of control with a lot of things to the point where it's inaccessible to people without legal training. Do you I haven't looked at this. Do you think that when we signed up for uh, Twitter and Facebook and everything, do you think we've uh, indemnified them for any damages for any claims caused by our use of the platform? And therefore, theoretically, if they get sued for something we do, they can sue us for the attorney's fees. I bet we did. I bet we did. Yeah. I would expect. Sure. I would, I would put, if I was in there, and I know people, nobody reads it, I would put it in there. Why not? Yeah, yeah. we probably yeah. signed uh, binding arbitration agreements too, saying that we oh, can't yeah. uh, sue them in court. We have to uh, do yeah. it in a jams arbitration. I'll yeah, tell you, I'm, my wife. Uh, yeah. yeah, my wife. Uh, my wife did Lularo. Um which you may, if y'all aren't familiar, was a multi-level marketing uh, company that was very popular oh, for like two years or something. Yeah. Um, and they had a mandatory arbitration clause in which, or and venue selection in which you had to go to Wyoming physically in order to contest anything. I, I learned country. because I, you know, as, as you might imagine, things got, uh, things devolved and to the mm. point where it was legal. So they made a documentary about it. Yeah, right. They Hulu, did. isn't it? Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Uh, yeah, Lula Rich, I think is the name of it. <laughs> I didn't actually watch it, but I think my wife did because, like many wives in circles that we run in, she was involved in. Uh, no, my wife wasn't, but she had friends who were involved in Lula Row. And like, it's a pretty similar story that she got across the board. 
but yeah, like I'm sure that LuLaRoe contract, just like the <laughs> Twitter terms and conditions or, you know, basically every click wrap agreement that you sign on the web, and there's probably a thousand of them a year. Uh, and I think that was uh, Professor Hoffman's point is there's so many of these that you do yeah. more, you know, a thousand of them a year, maybe. Uh, yeah. They've all got these terms that, you know, people without legal training couldn't understand them and people with legal training like the three of us just ignore them and sign them anyway without ever bothering to read and digest the whole thing because if we did we'd never sign it because right. it's all a bunch of garbage yeah or do we just yeah it's kind of uh, me signing all those and just clicking agree knowing exactly what's in there it's kind of a product of uh it the fact that everything we do is based on act on chaos and society hangs by a thread always. And they, we, I know that if they actually tried to punish me for this, like they're never, they, right. I know exactly how this happened. They'll never actually sue a single user for the costs associated with defending a lawsuit. They just want to, they just want to uh, put themselves in the absolute best position. And None of it really matters because so much of it is never going to get tested because it takes so much effort to do it. And that's the Professor uh, Hoffman's yeah. point, right? Is that just sort of how much of contracts is is that? It's just all of the, like, no, neither party thinks that this is going to be enforced or this is ever going to actually come to pass. And it's just, you're just signing away. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's just, uh, he, he makes a good point. I like the... Uh, <laughs> The hundred dollar limit that seems like anything under a hundred dollars i think it, the point was right anything a hundred under a hundred dollars would only be enforceable if it was an oral contract right uh i think it like rendered all under hundred dollars thing things an oral contract whether it was written or not so it would be enforceable just as an oral contract oh i might I be wrong okay. about that that sounds right so like having a, having a written contract wouldn't make there not be an agreement it would just be the written version doesn't exist Gotcha. And so the um, only thing that exists is the uh, kind of bare bones. Your understanding, your handshake. Right. Yeah. yeah. So part I, of the I, thing, he didn't go far enough. 500. 500 is better. Uh, part of the whole thing is uh, that touches on the gross imbalance of power between uh, the very large parties that we're contracting with as individuals all the time and the very minuscule power that we have as the individuals contracting with these you know monolithic organizations uh, and gosh I, we got to pick a different punching bag than Twitter uh, here what's another punching bag that we could pick uh, monolithic organizations know. how about Google yeah, yeah. sure sure and they're at, it looks uh, like in the topic list we're gonna be picking on Google in a second anyway Uh <laughs> But like, okay, we signed this agreement with Google. Like, what bargaining power does Jason Ramsland have with Google? Like, zero bargaining power. Yeah. And so, if I if they're offering a service, I got to take the terms of the. I got to take the service on the terms that they're willing to sell it to me and anybody else in the world. And if you want to modify those terms at all, you sure as heck better be a very big corporation. Like we're talking yeah. Walmart big. If you want some mm -hmm. other deal with them, because they don't have time to negotiate individual one-on-one -on -one things where I can't call up to Google and say, uh, hey, I was going to sign up for you know this $9.99 a month Google Drive extra storage, but I didn't really like this term and the terms and conditions here. Can we agree to modify that? And can you send me a new copy of the agreement? Like, no, that's, that's not going to happen. No. Uh, and so the, the collapsing of the bargaining power disparity between uh, very large organizations and the very small individuals 
that seems like a great idea to me. Also an idea that is never, ever going to come to fruition because we live in the United States. Really, any any organization that is has enough money to hire an attorney to draft a standard contract uh, yeah. is at, an, is at an imbalance a, a little I, bit. Uh, you know, when I represent, I talk to, when I'm acting as general counsel for the government, and they are asked whether or not they should sign this standard contract from this tech organization that has all this illegal stuff in it that's like not legal for a government to sign. I'm just like, look, they, they're they not going to negotiate this. Right. Just sign it. It's it, it's unenforceable against you. So, okay. It's, it sucks to be them. They're kind of, they're kind of the ones that are screwed on it. Uh, but it's never going to come to pass anyway. Like, you know, uh, pro- confidentiality provisions, for example, in Florida are a government can't agree to confidentiality because it has public records obligations. So it's just kind of like, okay, you, you won't remove this confidentiality provision because it's in your uniform terms of service. It's not going to work for you, bud. Yeah. So speaking of monolithic, massive organizations that, uh, you can't go up against, we mentioned, we're going to talk about Google and the department of justice going after them, going after their advertising business, because, uh, yeah. apparently in 2023 now is when that's a problem, <laughs> which I found, I mean, I find the timing, inter- it seems like, uh, this should have been about a decade ago. Right. I mean, how I think yeah. Google is in, in the worst position it's ever, not to say it's in a bad position, but to the extent of it being a monopoly, I think there are more competitors now. This is, I didn't research this as always. I'll note again, we okay. don't do any research. We don't do any homework, but yeah. I would bet that they are on purpose. In among, intentionally, on purpose. intentionally do not do any research. <laughs> right. I would bet that they are at the lowest market share now as at any point since they acquired DoubleClick in terms of advertising on, on the internet. There was a time there, there was a stretch there for like a solid decade where they were basically the only major players in town. And so this was this was really oh. surprising. Like, I didn't see this coming at all. I, I did a little accidental research, oh, which boy. is I watched uh, Tech TechLinked. Uh, which is a good YouTube channel, which is uh, three times a week tech news. And okay. uh, they mentioned like for 40 seconds, they talked about this. And apparently, so their market share in terms of like Facebook and, you know, others like that right. uh, isn't what they're going after. They're going after, apparently they have like 85 or 90% market share and maybe like are the only player in town in certain tool sets and markets for selling. Uh, where like they own the market, they own the tools to make the advertisements, and that's what they're going after because it's basically an accidental both horizontal and vertical integration in like multiple areas and all the substrates of advertising. They Facebook has a huge share at the top, but if you go down deeper, Google gets a piece like all the way down. So that's oh, apparently what's going on. I'm not I'm not an antitrust lawyer and I don't know right. about this, but yeah, but somebody apparently they're talking to antitrust lawyers and it seems like it seems likely to succeed, apparently. And uh, speaking of it being should have been 10 years ago, one of the basis of the lawsuit, according to the, the tech link, was right. that they'd essentially already destroyed the markets like by uh, by having such control over it. So yeah, maybe it should have been brought ten years ago. I don't know. This so what's me. the solution to this? I mean, 
do we do we break up Google like the like we did with AT and T uh, and we create or was AT and T? I think it was Bell AT&T. Labs. Yeah. The, yeah, Bell Labs, and we broke them up into the baby bells. Uh, right. Like, is that what we do with Google? Because yeah. Google's core product at the very start uh, was search, and then the core product that grew out of search as like monetizable was advertising. And then obviously they're in like a bazillion other fields now where, you know, they're making phones and uh, they're uh, making, you know, they're a major vendor of web infrastructure services and stuff like that. So what do we break them up? Yeah. Uh, but like, how do you break up their ad business into multiple yeah, pieces? That part I don't understand. I don't know. So either. the, the way that I'm, that they might do it. So uh, I'm doing uh, on the fly research right now. And I'd seen this, I'd seen this diagram before, but, uh, basically the DOJ had like a, a, uh, a flow chart that showed how all the Google businesses work together. And there were four businesses that were at issue, which is double click Google ad exchange, Google ads and display and video 360, which double click might be the worst one that they're going after because it has over 90% market share. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's where they do, where bidding is occurring, I guess. Um, or or they, that's where bids go in from the website. Never mind. I'm not going to try to describe this flow chart. I think double click for publishers is, I think that's the like actually displaying, like say we started a magazine called yeah. uh, Squiring Minds Magazine and we wanted to run Google ads on it. I think double click for publishers yeah. is the way okay. we sort of put that template up on our page so that we can have uh, ads show up. So they own 90% of that market yeah. share. So in other words, if you want ads to appear yeah. on your page, 90% of the time, you're going to be going to double click. Sorry, go ahead, Jake. So this is the equivalent of the uh, marketing firm that, or the, uh, yeah, I guess marketing firm, whose job it is to get ads placed in Vanity Fair or something like that. This is right. the business that's selling the pages in the magazines, but mm-hmm. not magazines, internet web pages. And then at the same time, they're also the ones who are on the other side of it, vending, uh, you know, the positive search results for advertisers. And so they're catching them both coming and going and and enjoying Mm -hmm. uh, a huge portion of the revenue there where uh, in the Google ads advertiser ad network, uh, they enjoy something like 80% market share. And this is all, we'll post the Ars Technica uh, article in the show notes here. And there's a great diagram that shows this. It's the DOJ's diagram that interestingly is is done in the material design of google so i think they're trolling google a little bit with this chart uh and then uh you know all that kind of comes together in the ad exchange uh and is just a huge portion of the market uh where they don't own literally the entire market on the internet but it is a prohibitively large uh portion of it that basically uh, if Google wants to pull a lever and radically change the internet advertising economy, like they have the power to do it, they can. This from a, do you did you guys hear about the Amazon Smile story about yep. how they shut down Amazon Smile and in response, all these stories came out about like oh the whole reason Amazon Smile, which was the like alt website where one percent or something of your right. purchase prices would go to charity. Uh, mm-hmm. The whole reason that existed in the first place was so that they didn't have to pay Google for the clicks from the, oh, I just activated my, my, right. okay, my thing. 
so they didn't have to play Google, pay Google for the clicks. Yeah, by the way, they're listening to everything we say right now. Uh, yeah, I have Google well. devices all over my house. I have a Google doorbell. I have a Google security. Um, mm. Yeah, so uh, if if anything happens to me, just know um, just know who it was. You know who it was. It was, it was Apple. I, I don't. I love I, I love Google. I love Google. How do, don't go, don't go after my precious Google. <laughs> right. So yeah. So the smile thing. My understanding of it behind that was that it was encouraging people to go directly to to not search for an item plus the keyword Amazon, right? But instead to go directly right. through the Amazon page and to not have to. I got you. Okay. It is crazy. Right. I always that, wanted. I I always wondered why it was so annoying to get to Amazon Smile, and it turned out it was because. They they had to make it annoying, so otherwise there was no point to it. I always thought it was just to sort of make it more like they they didn't particularly want to do it. Like it was something they were offering because uh, they wanted to get the good publicity, but they didn't actually want to be giving one percent of purchase right. price to it. So you know, make it a pain. But um, so yeah, yeah. so the, the whole reason for it, it is sort of a strange turn of events that you have these huge companies like Google and Facebook. Uh, I'm sorry, and Amazon. And necessarily, um, that at the bottom of it all, they're handing money back and forth to each other through all these little these little things. Like you look at this this whole ad network. Mm-hmm. Presumably, um, other Fang, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, what is it, Netflix, and then Google are customers of all of these exchanges. Uh, I'm sorry, of the exchange and their publishers and their advertisers, and they're using all of this too. And it does sort of. Uh, I imagine you don't make a lot of friends in Silicon Valley that way if you're Google. And so there's not going to be a lot of people rushing to their uh, defense on this. Like, I don't think Facebook or Met, I'm sorry, Meta is going to see this and think, well, that could be us <laughs> next. So, you know, we, you know, we should stand you know, shoulder to shoulder here. Yeah. What is friendship, though? I wish I had like a binding case law on what friendship was. <laughs> mm, that'd be nice. You know, yeah. I'm not so sure that Facebook won't intervene in uh in this situation or at least like you know i mean chime in with amicus briefs or something like that mm-hmm. because facebook while they may not be super chummy with google uh i haven't heard a lot about hostility between the two companies not the same not the same way that you hear about hostility between like facebook and apple because facebook Meta is ticked off that uh, Apple is undermining Facebook's business uh, with the way that they're doing, you know, like the app tracking transparency and stuff like that. Uh, You don't hear about that same sort of hostility between Google and Facebook. And uh, Google is what Meta kind of part of what Meta aspires to be. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so it's probably in Meta's interest a little bit to stand up and say, well, hey, you guys are having this conversation about antitrust in online advertising. We've got a little bit of a stake in this, and our stake is much more aligned with Google uh, than it is with, I guess, we're, if we're doing this, Alphabet. It's much more aligned with Alphabet <laughs> uh, than it is with you know uh, the United States government. And so I don't yeah. know that they necessarily want to sure. sit back and, uh, and kind of... Uh, soak in the schadenfreude of watching Google get punished, knowing that mm-hmm. if Google goes down, like, well, you're the next player up and uh, you don't necessarily want the DOJ knocking on your door, at least about this, any more than they're knocking at your door about mm-hmm. other stuff. So I think Facebook may, Meta may find themselves aligned with Google in this. Yeah. I don't know if they'll chime in with a lot of gusto, though. 
they'll chime in to say, hey, government, go after Apple because Apple ruined our whole <laughs> business model yeah. by, by giving everybody privacy. That God is Facebook Apple well. for that. God bless yeah. Apple for that. <laughs> so, Jason, you started this by saying, though, how does this actually work? And I don't I don't know either. I don't know if either of you guys have any real understanding. My sort of gut, again, I, I'm not an antitrust attorney. This isn't legal advice. I don't know what I'm talking about. My thought is if they divide website publishers from the ad exchange and from the advertisers, are they then injecting antitrust restrictions between in the interplay between those separate entities? So because obviously, if you just force them to technically be under different uh, entities, right, under uh, different roofs, mm. all part of Alphabet, but separate companies or even not part of Alphabet, right? But functionally, the same company they were because in a huge company like Google. Yeah. It's a million little companies anyway, in terms of how it's actually operating day to day. So if you formally require them to break up in this way, in a way that yeah. is different from Bell, uh, Bell Telephone, I, I don't exactly understand how, how do you then compel the ad exchange and the advertisers or the ad exchange and the website publishers that were former segments of the same company that are now technically separate companies? How do you prevent them from just behaving the same exact way they did mm -hmm. a moment ago? Mm -hmm. You know, I think I... I wonder whether or not these companies look they they get along in that they're, you know, working in tandem. But just like when you have a bunch of companies under one roof, they're feuding and having different objectives and they will get into battles oh. with upper management with each other. Yeah. Like they want to, you know, so um that's like, a good point. For example, Twitch Twitch is in a battle or not. I don't know whether there, there's an actual battle, but, you know, Twitch maybe doesn't have the same incentive to negotiate against Amazon Web Services, which provides its own its uh, its web hosting because it's owned by Amazon. So the, the incentives to negotiate a good rate from Amazon for its cloud services isn't there. Um, and it's totally different. Once you're a separate company with separate shareholders, separate, mm -hmm. you know, uh, dividends, you're going to actually negotiate with each other. Um, theoretically, at least you're supposed to. Uh, of course, that's all. If they actually are all kumbaya and see a positive, uh, you know, positive community value, community being the community of uh, websites, their uh, community companies that has a hold in this advertising market, maybe they keep working in tandem. Uh, you know, no actual agreement because that would be illegal. But, uh, you know, they just work as one and in sync to see that benefit. But it's very light. It's very possible that they actually are rivals or at least have different uh, different objectives. So with the breakup of the bells, like that was something that could happen on geographic yeah. lines. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the last major antitrust that really sticks in my mind, especially in the tech field, was mm -hmm. Microsoft. And that was basically don't don't, you know, steer everybody into the bundled in Internet Explorer. You got to leave space for, uh, you know, these other competitors in the browser market. Uh, but I don't understand how you would really there's no geographic line to draw here. And I don't know if there's a technological line to draw here other than like 
maybe we take the seller side and we split that off into one company. We take the buyer side and we split that right. off into another company. And then yeah. maybe we have like a, an intermediary broker between the buy side and the sell side and we break that up into a different company. But I don't necessarily understand how you make that situation work either. Right. Uh, Where are you getting that intermediary like, you know, company? Like you're just spinning that up. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can like create... Right. Yeah, like creating a whole other entity just seems like such. I mean, that would be that's so complicated. It's hard mm-hmm, for me to yeah. imagine a court ordering that. You know, there would be so many second questions, third questions, tenth questions. Well, and then you have you bump into a situation of okay, we spin off these uh, companies into two separate companies. Let's say we just do two companies. We've got the sell side uh, with the publishing side, uh, and we've got the ad purchasing side. We spin those off into two companies. Aside from court orders that thou shalt not branch into you know, uh, seller side uh, uh, of publisher side, you never branch into uh, you know the advertiser side. Yeah. And advertiser side, you never branch into the publisher side. Like, okay, but like, aren't there natural synergies between those two things where you would want to be playing on both the publishing side and the purchasing side? Like, it just seems like such a natural market efficiency that uh, Google probably developed its um, iron grip on this market by being the first, uh, and maybe not the first, but like the first big one. Like it was in the beginning, it was Google and AltaVista and Ask Jeeves and uh, whatever else was out there. Uh, And it kind of just, and Yahoo, how did I forget Yahoo? Yahoo, man. Uh, (laughs) And Google just kind of, uh, you know, stood above the crowd uh and like how do you how do you walk that back how do you prevent it from happening again is this just a temporary measure and we got to go back and correct it every 10 or 15 years gosh i don't know but luckily hopefully there's some smart people at the doj working on that (laughs) one of the chief complaints that the doj had was that google had bought all the companies that were first and that was kind of the anti-competitive thing Mm -hmm. so you know, maybe maybe you have an order prohibiting somebody from acquiring the companies, but I'm not sure that does very much. Yeah. Yeah, because certainly on the publishing side, with DoubleClick having 90% market share, it seems like I mean it seems like the acquisition of DoubleClick and the growth <laughs> under Google is really what has brought them to, to yeah. here. Like if you carve off DoubleClick, I don't think they're even you know, there's no problem. They're not having this discussion. So if you if you cut off, if you segment this in such a way where double click is left whole, I think you, you to your point, you just sort of they'll just recreate what they did. They'll they'll you know branch into the advertising side and they'll rehire all the people that were in the carved off company and and that's it. You'll be right back there. And I don't know if we have the the other thing about the geographical aspect of the Bell telephone breakup is there is like a sort of permanence to that. It requires that uh, uh, regional telecoms have to now compete with a regional telecom, not with one wing of a massive telecom, right? And so you can mm-hmm. have room for competition. But here, without those geograph- geographical limitations, you can just immediately grow right back. It'd be as though one of those little bell telephones just was able to immediately go back international again and subsume all the others and, and get right back to where they were with a different name. No, that took like 15 years or something before that happened, right? Because they all they the baby them. bells ultimately became AT&T, right? They ultimately all came back together. Uh, yeah. Or is AT&T. It, or was Verizon one of the baby bells, maybe? 
I don't. I think I, that might. Be I right. knew this at one point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they all ultimately came back together, or AT and T National ended up forming again with a bunch of baby bells. Um, right. But with it, but with much more competition. Like the, I, it would be hard to say that there isn't telecom competition at this point, especially when you yeah, consider you the ones that can piggyback that. off of the networks. Yeah. Yeah, but you wonder if that's owing to that breakup or just technology developing. Yeah, that would have exactly. happened anyway. And this was a big, you know, a m- massive inefficiency for Bell Telephone. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the solution to this problem here is to uh, radically strengthen the FTC, which, by the way, I'm in favor of to begin with because uh, I like what the FTC is doing about non competes. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, even though it's going to cost me a lot of business to not be able to litigate non-competes anymore. Uh, I like what they're doing there. Like maybe we just need a much more robust FTC reviewing and approving these mergers or like not approving them because we've been in an acquisition phase in tech and a bunch of other industries, banks. We've been in uh, an acquisition phase for an awfully long time. And that acquisition phase is resulting in a lot of big monolithic organizations that have uh, a lot of power over consumers, a lot of power over the government and influence on policy. Uh, and so uh, let's, I'm here, I'm putting my flag in the ground here on, uh, you know, uh, let's uh, bolster the FTC. Not going to be a popular opinion, but. <laughs> it's popular here. We're, I'm with you. <laughs> I have no opinion on the administrative state. What about, I don't know anything uh, about the this. internet in terms of uh, uh, making the internet worse and how DoubleClick has done has unquestionably done that? How about AI writing on the internet? Do you have an opinion on that? Oh, AI writing? Uh, uh, yeah, CNET seems like it could be. BuzzFeed. Yeah, I did see that. So CNET is pausing its AI writing. And by the way, I know much. I know too much about the corp. What happened corporate wise at CNET the last few years because. They were connected to some of my favorite websites when they were sold by CBS and bought by Red Ventures, um, which is like a like a yeah, which is a giant like VC backed media company, North Carolina. Um, But uh, yeah, so they're pausing. They've announced they're pausing their AI writing. We talked about this a a week or two ago um, where they were. They were publishing things under CNET staff name when if you click through, turned out it was AI supported and turned out it was occasionally wrong. Um, And they're (laughs) pausing that because of all the blowback from their employees and the public. And I'm waiting for the blowback from Google because Google said they do, you know, deprioritize AI search results. But apparently that's not dissuading BuzzFeed, who has maybe (laughs) that has maybe the most AI, AI writable content when it comes to like quizzes and listicles, uh, just like the easiest things that you could reproduce and would be better to have for a, or like would seems like it would be very effective to have for AI because you just need a ton of them and they don't seem like they're that different. They say that they're (laughs) going to start using it, but in a very cagey way about how much they're actually going to do it. And in addition to being just like tailor made for Buzzfeed, BuzzFeed is not even remotely concerned with the accuracy of what they put up. And so that makes (laughs) AI and chat GPT just like, okay, perfect. Totally on par. This came up separately in our discussion. uh, But like 
somebody was using chat GPT. I think I saw this on Mastodon. Uh, somebody was using chat GPT, like, tell me three interesting cases about what was it about Christmas time or something like that, or about the holiday so, season yeah. or something. And uh, uh, chat GPT very confidently gave three interesting cases, one from Washington, one from New York, one from Oregon. I'm sure I got the details of it wrong. And none of those cases actually existed. Yeah. So like BuzzFeed, great. Like, go for it. This is right on par for what you're looking for. Yeah. The, all three of those cases had holdings where I was like, that seems wrong. Where like it was like dropping an egg from the roof is protected First Amendment expression. And it's just like, wait, what? Like, I Hold on, where? Okay, there's like, I started going through as the O'Brien factors of when it's, uh, you know, expressive conduct but not speech. I'm like, oh wait, right. dropping an egg seems pretty dangerous for, like, if you're dropping it on people, uh, and yeah, and and also I, I was like, this seems like not correct under First Amendment. There was a, the one from New York, which I don't remember what it was, but it was. It was all plausible. And that's kind of the thing. It's so good at making plausible, plausible writing. And it doesn't care whether or not it's accurate is the, <laughs> it's the problem. I think and maybe we're under, we're under crediting uh, chat GPT as a, like having good lawyer credentials because it has an astonishingly great ability to be confidently incorrect. I mean, <laughs> that's like two thirds of the qualifications for being a lawyer. Yeah. No, it, it could definitely like get by practicing. I feel like like it couldn't pass the bar, but once it passes the bar, it, and nobody would know. I don't think people would know. They'd just be like, "Wow, that that lawyer's crazy. That lawyer, wait, that lawyer sounds confident, but he she doesn't actually know what they're talking about." He's going to be yeah, the and really quirky member of the bar that shows up at the lunches, like kind of <laughs> extra sweaty, and gives a talk about the right. Second Amendment or something. Yeah. Always, always wearing their earbuds for some reason. I, I don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah. with that. <laughs> kind of has a metallic sheen. I had, I went minorly uh, viral this week on uh, esq.social, our Mastodon instance, because I was messing around with ChatGPT and I was trying to tell it um, what has gone on with Twitter in the last, you know, whatever it's been, six months, <laughs> or whatever. And so I, I just basically, like, I, I don't, I didn't editorialized i did a little okay i editorialized a little bit but for the most part i just basically said what was going on you know people have been unbanned a lot of people are unhappy elon musk has purchased it etc and it just flat out argues with me it just tells me that's incorrect <laughs> and then gives me like a um a fake news uh, uh argument like you know you really should be more careful where you find your news it's, <laughs> it's not plausible that elon musk would ever purchase twitter and if he did um and you know he would twitter doesn't unban people that have been banned for you know racist or, or homophobic statement, whatever that some little, you know, spiel it gave me, it, but it very confidently argued with me despite my like starting it by saying this has happened in the last little while. I understand that chat GPT has only has information now up to, I think 2021 in some, for some realms, but mostly 2019, but yeah, it, it, it's an excellent lawyer. It will argue with you about something that you know for a fact, and you know, they don't know. Uh, I think it, it, it could pass that. The, whatever the Turing test would be for that, um, <laughs> it would pass it well. But also on the on the uh, BuzzFeed thing, we talked about this a little bit before we were on here. So the Copyright Office has already said that AI-generated content can't be copywritten because it's not been touched by, you know, some term of art like hasn't been mm -hmm. touched by human hands, right? It hasn't been uh, human effort or something. Um, 
I don't really understand what BuzzFeed's plan is. I mean, I guess I do. The the plan is to say that, well, this isn't AI generated content. It's just AI assisted. And so I can Mm still, they can still, because I assume they don't particularly want all their content copied on uh, every blogspot blog that wants to get some, some clicks. Right. So what's the, what's the other side here? Like there's, they just churn out such a quantity that, you know, uh, no person care. with a blog spot or a digital ocean WordPress thing can can really replicate it. Um, or I guess they could try, but why, but why would anybody go there instead of BuzzFeed? Uh, but um, also, I don't think they're worried about the copyright. I do think they're going to have a copyright thing. What are you going to say, Jason? So maybe BuzzFeed is just doing what Walmart does with all these like old timey brands that it acquires, where like. Uh, Walmart buys. Gosh, what's the what's the one that I'm thinking of? Is it Columbia? Is that a brand that Walmart bought? Or uh, no, Coleman. That sounds right. Uh, I think they brought. Oh yeah, no, they, they bought, bought Coleman. I think they bought the Coleman brand. And like Coleman is a brand that had just built up enormous cachet over the years as being like, okay, this is decent camping gear. This is decent like cold weather gear. Uh, if you buy a Coleman sleeping bag, you know it's not you know North Face or something like that, but it's pretty good. Uh, and then they just take it and they trade on the the quality of the name the reputation of the name maybe that's what buzzfeed while drastically reducing the quality of the product yeah. and the cost of the product oh. maybe that's what buzzfeed is doing you know what we built a lot a lot of cachet for <laughs> having high quality right. listicles and yeah. you know viral celebrity photos and stuff like that and like okay well we built up this cachet now it's time to take it and reduce the quality of the product by using uh you know ai to generate procedural stuff maybe that's what they're doing with it i wouldn't count mm-hmm. on it but that's a that's also a quick way to devalue your brand i i do think that they're gonna they're gonna find a way to keep the copyright though because uh you know they said that they said that ai produced that is they being the copyright office said ai produced works were not copyrightable because i guess a person a person needs to create it for it to be copyrighted but they're going to change enough. Uh, I know that there's, it just seems wrong that you should be able to create an AI work or you should just click generate on an AI and then change a word and make it copyrightable. And I bet there's, we're going to turn to our old friend, our old standbys, uh, substantial and reasonable, uh, and just okay. like lean on those really hard for uh, whether or not it's going to be copyrightable about whether it was substantially created by a human or reasonably modified, something along those lines, because like right. we do use AI, big 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 scare quotes in my hands right now, AI to you know autocomplete some things, you know, in Word and Outlook, Gmail, iPhones, sure. they all have autocomplete, and I don't think that affects the copyright. Um, or you can, yeah. I mean, Outlook will practically write the whole end of a paper, end of an email for me. I don't have to write. Uh, thank you know. Let me know if you have right. any questions. Almost uh, that just auto gets added onto the end of my email. Um, and I think that most people would agree that's it's still cut. Co- well, I don't care whether my email is copyrighted, but like if you get an auto completed sentence which you wrote, but it, the last right. four words or something are auto completed. That's fine. And so obviously there's some kind of middle ground there. Huge gap between that and chat right. GPT. Write me a song about, mm-hmm. about the guitar that's behind Jason right now. Uh, and then it's spitting out five paragraphs. That's different. But 
there's a, a, we're gonna it's gonna be left to the courts i bet and it's gonna be uh, a mess as it usually is yeah because administratively i also wonder how exactly that would work because uh, why would you ever... So uh, let's assume that these AIs eventually have models that you can run locally. So you're a publishing house that turns out mm-hmm. you know, relatively like low-quality books, let's, let's say, right? Let's, let's say children... No, I'm just kidding. Children's books aren't low-quality. But okay, low-quality books, right? Cheap novels. And so you have an AI that is generating these books, right? Why would you ever say to the copyright office, this was generated by AI? Why wouldn't you just always say, yeah. that, you know, it was corrected? Like, how would they ever find out? Yeah. And um, to the, the leave it to the courts, the two decisions that uh, apparently the copyright office had leaned on uh, lower court rulings as to what would not be copyrightable because it didn't have uh, sufficient uh, human intervention. One was a 97 decision that found a book of divine revelations lacked a human element of human arrangement and curation to be protected. And the other was that monkey photograph that the monkey couldn't hold the, uh, the, the copyright oh. for the photograph it took itself. Yeah. So it definitely yeah. is like, yeah, the reasonable and the substantial and something like that. But again, the other part is yeah. I, I just don't see how it administratively works. Why would you tell the copyright office yeah. that? Yeah. You'd never generated know. by AI. Yeah. You just say AI assisted over and over and right. you don't even like they, and also you don't need to read, you don't need to like send something to the copyright office for it to be copyrighted. Right. Um, I don't think so. How, how does that even work? I don't, I don't know. I, I was told that once you put something online, it's cop like it's protected. Um, that's my understanding. Yeah. And like, once you create it, it's protected supposedly. Uh, I think you can register but works, I but I don't know what, at what purpose that serves exactly. Other than maybe like a who to yeah. contact type, but yeah, I, I don't think yeah. you need to. And I know the, the urban legend of having to mail it to yourself is just, I guess, to see if people will do that. You've heard that, right? That yeah. In order to have something copywritten, <laughs> yeah. you, you uh, print I, it out and put it in an envelope and mail it to yourself. I thought that was for to prove when you did it so that you'd have the postmark. And so you never... Is that what it is? I thought that's what it was. Um, but then that's just for the envelope. Couldn't I say, well, uh, yeah, I wrote this prediction as to what's going to happen in 2023 when but this you don't postmark open happened. You don't open it was what I I heard. Oh. You keep it you keep it sealed. Huh. It's putting a lot of weight on envelope so, glue being Yeah, no, it is. Quality. Look, look. <laughs> we had to we had to work with what we could in the nineties, okay? You 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 don't know what it was I'm like. I'm talking to though. somebody who has mailed something to himself <laughs> to copyright, aren't I? <laughs> what was it? A song? Yeah. Tell us. <laughs> no, I put the youngest person in the in the yeah, podcast. You're right the youth now. correspondent, yeah. Yeah, when I when I wrote my Guitar Hero guide for GameFAQs and put it online, I put a bunch of disclaimers on the bottom about how I own the copyright and nobody's allowed to copy it. And when you know second. it, many, many this, people copied it. Is this really, really true? Did you actually write a GameFAQ for Guitar Hero? Yes, I did. Oh, man, this is a great layer That's of awesome. the onion to peel back, Jake. I'm going to go oh, dig yeah. this up right now. Yeah, I like I told my teacher about this and she's like, oh, you wrote a thing. And then she looked at it. And she's like, oh, my God, this is so involved. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I spent a lot of time on this. Uh, How old were you? What, what, yeah. what sort of teacher are we talking about here? I was like 15. It was high school, I think. 16. Huh. Whenever game, Guitar Hero came out. Oh, yeah. I found it. Yeah, it's not hard to find. It. Let's go, no, let's go in the not. show notes. 
Yeah. Also, no. yeah, I think it so. might. Maybe not yet. Maybe that'll be uh, special gated Patreon. content for uh, episode 100 or something like that, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, it's so hard to find. Like, don't even try, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> J- Jason's reading. I, I can see his eyes reading it right now. <laughs> oh, I can. To- I'm totally reading it right now. Yeah. I have a lot of questions, Jake, but we're going to do most of these offline. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, if we don't have anything else to talk about in terms of AI flooding the internet with terrible writing, yeah. uh, which I don't think is necessarily, by the way, just one last comment. I don't think it's going to be any worse than the terrible writers that I have written. I can I can talk about people who write for content farms. I, I think I've talked about yeah. it on this podcast in the past in college. You did I it? wrote, yeah, for like twenty five dollars yeah. or you know an article or whatever. They're terrible writers. It's that content is yeah. awful. The, the recipes are terrible. The ideas are terrible. It's all terrible. So I don't think the chat GPT <laughs> is going to do that much worse of a job with any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I look forward to that. Better. Same th- yeah, exactly. Like, At least it might. I, I hate mean, Google now. <laughs> I, I hate yeah. what Google serves me now. Uh, when true. I have a question uh, or when I want content, like it, they figured out Google's algorithm with bad content and Google can't fight back seemingly. And I, it's so annoying. Uh, Google is not what it used to be. So I'm, I'm not sure how much it affects me now. <laughs> well, maybe you'll be using Bing soon because uh, that was the other, uh, this isn't one of our topics, but uh, Microsoft committed to putting more money into open AI and they're yeah. getting even more in bed with GPT-3 and, and all the underlying code you know, behind chat GPT. And I, I, this is the first time I've heard of some sort of plan that a search uh, company other than Google has yeah. that I actually think might challenge google like this could be really yeah. i mean it, just sort of eliminating search results uh that are links to web pages and instead having the first result be like an answer to your question itself you know what i mean a generated yeah. answer right there that could be huge only if it's accurate only if it actually starts caring True. about being accurate uh because right. <laughs> if it starts being the engine where you get plausible wrong answers that's not right. that's not going to replace that's Google for me. Yeah, that could be a problem. That's that's, that's like <laughs> that is a way worse situation that is. than getting annoying <laughs> right answers. It gives I mean, Google already gives you incorrect information. Yeah, yeah. Google already serves me up a bunch of confidently incorrect answers from Quora all the time. Q U O R A. Like, yeah. If you want to validate that an answer is incorrect, what's that principle where uh, the find the fastest way to find the correct way to do something is to post the incorrect way online? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like right. that's that's Quora to me. Hmm. Quora also, for some reason, if you visit the, their website and you're logged in, they will forever send you emails. I think at some point I signed up. You know, through this is not interesting podcasting, but at some point I signed up through Google or something to Cora to I don't know if I asked a question or I just viewed a question, but you get on some sort of mailing list and there's no getting off of that. You just continually get like no. the same way like Amazon will send you other lamps that you might be interested in because you once bought a lamp. <laughs> it does the same thing with like related oh. questions you might be interested in as though, yeah, I have thousands of faucets that are leaking and, and this. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you found the exact right one and sent me this answer. Do you have unread notifications on Nextdoor? Because I do. I've had 20 oh, plus un- unread. I get emails about my unread notifications on Nextdoor all the time. Mm-hmm. Whenever the unsubscribe is like change your mail preferences and right. it's like a big menu, it's yeah. they know what they're doing. They're making it really annoying to unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Nextdoor, Just I'm never going to check those. 
just this week i have unsubscribed from next door like four times and it still keeps yep. coming it still keeps oh coming. my gosh this is uh, unrelated this is related but this isn't you know on topic with what we usually talk about but do you guys have people in your area on next door that ask about every cat they see outside if this is someone's baby as though they've never understood the concept of like stray cats or neighborhood <laughs> cats i have dozens oh. if not hundreds of alerts for like this little gray one is this anyone's baby they're stray cats. They're st- Where are you from? You've never seen a stray cat before. That's it's a not somebody's c- monkey. That's a city. <laughs> that that that's a city perspective. If there's a cat around here, it's not a stray cat. I'm in, I'm in the middle oh, really? of like this. Yeah, no, there there are no stray cats, no stray dogs in my area, as far as I know. I've never seen a stray. Well, I don't cat have stray in dogs. Stray cats. I don't live in. I've post-apocalyptic yeah. wasteland it's not bands of you dogs do have, running around you do have like wolves that are like trying to hunt you down though right yeah wolves well, coyotes, and coyotes. Yeah, but, yeah 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 they'll, like you almost got murdered by some coyotes so that kind of counts I did. yeah yeah the stray cats don't survive long around here they get gobbled up by coyotes pretty quickly i think so hmm. i don't right. that problem okay. i do get yeah. uh people posting on next door about every single uh uh, scare quotes here suspicious looking car that's been driving through mm-hmm. the neighborhood uh, yeah. and it's never people who actually live in my subdivision it's people who live like kind of somewhat close to my subdivision but not actually <laughs> right. in here but like a mile and a half away like why are you lumped in like you don't <laughs> live here anyway, yeah. next door uh two thumbs down uh zero of ten stars do not recommend that's why i don't have stray cats we have bears here that's the that's I might have mentioned that before. Mm. My area is full of bears. Bears what? all in over Florida? the place. In Florida? Like water bears? Florida. Let me there are so many bears in Florida. It's a it's a thing. Every like four years or something, there's a bear hunt because we have too many bears. So the, the goal is to kill as many bears as possible. Anyway. <laughs> are they very controversial like, are every they- time? Yeah, same thing here. We have the same problem here because the, the population went to nothing and then they protected them. And then we had a pair. Um, this is a sad story, but we had a bear a couple of years ago that was a like a celebrity bear. He was called Petals. Do you remember that? Uh, it, it was like national news because he ran around on his hind legs and then some guy yeah, killed really? him. Yeah, I remember oh. that. Yeah. And, and oh like, my God. And like said he did it like he posted on Facebook. I got him or whatever during the bear hunt and then had to go oh into hiding God. because people were like hunting for him now. <laughs> Oh my god. This is like <laughs> Kyle Bartman of the uh Philadelphia area, yeah. right? Oh, like no. you catch exactly. what you thought was a foul ball and right. uh, yeah. now a pariah. Why you guys look so angry? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. All right, fellas, let's uh wrap it up with some yeah. recommendations here. Uh Mr. the the Mr. Schumer, uh, what do you yeah. have for us by the way of recommendations? So, uh did you guys watch Adult Swim? Did, are you too Ever? old for Adult Swim? No. Ever? Wow. Thanks for that no. one, Jake. Uh, I'm like I'm like four years older than you. Shut up. But uh, but yeah, the uh, what's the Aqua Teen Hunger Force and stuff okay. like that? Like yeah, I know the Adult Swim. Okay, so I the I was swim. in the That's into good. yeah I was into the Adult Swim like a long time ago. Uh, and then it was like, okay, this this humor isn't for me now. I'm a I'm an I'm a grown man. This isn't for me. But there's a uh, Twitch streamer that I watch who like perfectly encapsulates that feeling, and I still enjoy it because it's live. It's like a live Tim and Eric Aqua Teen kind of thing. He's he's called the Windbag. Uh, and if you <laughs> oh, if you have any interest in watching 
and getting into like a adult swim vibe with a few hundred other people listening to this guy make up random stories about chicken pigs and sing sing songs to pretty good beats uh the windbag on twitch all right the windbag on twitch that, uh, is it what's the uh what's the uh, movie rating level of the content here is it pg is it pg13 is it rated r he'll he'll occasionally swear but not as a rule so but that's the uh, that's all mostly it's so we're talking like pg13 pg13 maybe pg pg13 yeah uh, okay yeah it's more just like completely nonsense okay so kids wouldn't like it so for my recommendation uh this is jason uh, because people might not know our voices yet. Uh, right. We have, as a family, uh, been watching the Disney Plus show, The Mysterious Benedict Society, which I think we're probably a little bit behind the time on this. Uh, but it's uh, uh, Tony Hale of like Buster Bluth fame from Arrested Development, uh, a cast of kids. Uh, there's a, a guy on there who uh, was one of the guys from Remember the Titans. Uh, the one who ended up uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen remember the titans even though it's been out for 20 years the guy who gets in the car wreck and like really badly hurt uh he's on there too uh but it's like this really goofy uh kind of quirky uh, i don't know how to describe it other than like you know the vibe that you kind of got from the really weird movies like the royal tenenbaums where everybody's mm-hmm. sort of aloof and unaware mm-hmm. and uh, just super quirky. It's like that, but distilled down to a kid's mystery show. We've been watching that with our kids uh, for the last, I don't know, week and a half or so. Really cool. Uh, neat little show. Uh, we're maybe six or seven episodes into it. Uh, I feel strongly enough about it that I could give it a good recommendation. What was the name again? The Mysterious Benedict Society. Okay. And that's on Disney Plus, right? Disney Plus. You got it. Very cool. Uh, my recommendation for this week is a little self-centered. Um, we've talked about uh, we're all on esq.social, the Mastodon instance. And we've talked about, uh, I think in episode one, we talked about what the Fediverse is sort of broadly. And it's just a bunch of mm-hmm. different applications all operating on a similar protocol. And so in addition to Mastodon, there's another one. There's many others, but there's another one that's called Lemmy, which is sort of a Fediverse version of Reddit. And so I just uh, quickly installed um, an instance on links.esq.social that's for sharing links, just like a subreddit would be for, for uh, lawyers, attorneys, legally adjacent professionals. And so that's my recommendation. If you guys want to give it a shot, go on there, see if there's anything interesting that you might want to read or comment on and uh, sign up for an account. I have a like just a a wait list. It's not really a wait list. It's just to make sure that there's not bots or whatever joining. Um, but I'm pretty responsive, so I will add you pretty quickly when I see you've applied and see if you like it. If you don't, you don't have to hang out. I, I have a random question about that. Uh, is that Activity Pub? Is Activity Pub the like protocol that allows all the Fediverse ad, uh, applications to speak to each other? Yep. Does let me let me work with Activity Pub? It does. Yeah, you can follow it from a Mastodon instance and. Presumably vice versa, but uh, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense to do it the other way. But yeah, there's actually there's plugins that can turn your WordPress blog into an activity pub um, sort of publishing engine as well. And so then it can <laughs> be followed just as a, you know, it, you know, what it, what it really is doing is it's cutting out the middleman for for what used to be 
like RSS feed to That's, Twitter yeah. Uh, bots. Yeah, exactly. It's just cutting. That I was going to say, we're all just trying to get back to the RSS feed magic age. Exactly. We all just yeah. are trying to redo the RSS feed. Yep. Yeah. That's it for us. RSS, I think RSS feeds, they never died. They, yeah. They've been there the whole time. Just low key uh, being the foundation of the information web. Long live RSS. Google reader Indeed. might be gone, but RSS lives on. Yeah. Viva la RSS. All right, fellas. Pleasure. Pleasure as always. See you next Thanks week. Thanks for another good one. Yeah. I think so. See you next week.